Well, if you guys have uh, notes that were handed to you this morning, let me just remind you to make use of those notes, what we do here uh, in gathering together. And I, I say this because I realize in our day and age, Sunday gatherings may be one of the few times that people are spending staring into God's word, contemplating God's thoughts, and then the week gets started and it's, it's hectic and there's a lot going on, and then we just wait till the next Sunday where we get a chance to interact with God. But, but that's just really not how God had planned this thing. Right? What a rich thing God does by giving us his Holy Spirit. The greatest minister, most effective communicator of truth, most awesome impact in your life awaits you as you interact personally with the Holy Spirit. And this is just a vehicle to help that happen. So if anything, this meeting is the tip of an iceberg and and your adventure in the Christian experience awaits you and the Holy Spirit having personal conversations about who he is and and what he has for your life. And so those notes are just there for you to take with you, to sit down again and, and, and just say, Lord, this particular point seemed to speak to me on Sunday. Can you help me with that? Can you help me see that more effectively? So that's why you get notes uh, each week. On the top of those notes, you'll notice a, a, a title if you're joining us for the first time in a while uh, called The Ancient Path of Forgiveness. And I'll Explain just for a moment, a little bit, just why we call that an ancient path. Let me just start with Ephesians chapter 1. It's in your outline. You can turn to it in your Bible if you'd prefer to see your own copy there. Let's look at this passage together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. A lot of blessing going on in this passage. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Well, Father, we gather again this morning for, for you to gather us near to yourself. We gather with our thoughts, perhaps even as we are physically here in this building, maybe scattered to a lot of places. But Lord, would you bring us near to you now? Would you let your words that you preserved be words that are living and active that find their way into our souls? Lord, may there not be boundaries. May there not be resistance, God. May there not be walls that we have put up that keep you out. Lord, crash into the spaces where we live our lives and where our faith exists and let your word affect us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a lot of blessing in this passage, right? A lot of thoughts about a blessed life, right? Which makes me say, okay, are, are, are we on the page here? Did any of this stuff capture our attention? Do we consider these things to be blessings, right? When you survey your life, the various places that are represented in the room here, Maybe you're a teenager here this morning. and You've got categories of what you call the blessed life. Maybe you're a single mom here. Maybe you're the father of three children or you're in your 60s and a successful career businessman. You own a house. You're newly married. You just had children. Whatever makes up your story 
If you were pressed and you were asked, is your life a blessed life? What categories would you even be thinking in, right? What would come to mind for me to be able to say, man, I, I just feel so blessed. Right? What, 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 what happened to you recently that made you just wake up one day, man, I'm just, I'm just blessed. I'm just a blessed person. Well, it's interesting, the stuff that's in this passage. And it's interesting for me that this, this is Paul's introductory moment. And I, and I think... I'm, can't imagine Paul being too different than any communicator, any speaker. This is your first, this is the first thing you're going to say to people, right? Paul's going to write a letter and I'm sure like any of us who are trying to say something to someone else, we're, we want to get your attention. We want you to stay with us. We want you to listen. So this is his lead in moment. The apostle Paul leads in with this material to get the attention of a small band of people called Christians in the first century who live in the Roman Empire. They're, they're social outcasts no matter where they turn. If they turn to the Gentile world, the Roman belief system, they're peculiar. They're, they're, they have this exclusive belief in one God, unlike the polytheists around them. They have these narrow ways of pursuing life and pleasure, very different than the wide open pleasures of Romans and Greeks. And then you've got this other section of people within the land, established people, not a big group of people, but they're established, the Jews. And they've got their brand of morality. They've got their viewpoints on what life should be like. And and you have this weird interpretation as far as they're concerned of some man named Jesus Christ who claims something big. And so you don't fit in anywhere, right? You're just a social misfit. And so Paul says, you know, let, let me... Let me speak to the social misfits. Let me speak to the people who may look at their life and and look around and say, I'm not blessed. I don't fit in. I don't have much. I'm not impressive to people. And he says, but but can I just remind you of something? And he pulls out this spiritual bank account and he sits across the table from them and he says, "Can can I just show you what's in your account? Right? So when you read through these and Verse 4, that you are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, listen this is where I say this is tip of the iceberg stuff. But do you understand what we're going to deal with today? Dealing with this, the fact that there's failures in our lives. There's things in our lives that, that, that bring shame and regret and make us feel like we're, we're separated from God. And then you bump into this little passage right here. That you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I mean, does, does, does that inform something about what do you do with the mess you've made of your life? What do you do with the sense that I, I feel this shame? There was a word this morning for folks who may feel locked away with a past sin issue that is, is writing the script of your life. And God turns around and gets that one little line, which is not even what I'm intending to preach, but I had to stop. <laughs> And says, before you began to write your own script of existence, before you did any of the things that are on your list of, I'm so ashamed, I hope no one ever finds out. Before you did any of that, way back in time, I chose you before any of that, knowing full well what you would do. I chose you. That's a little different, right? I mean, listen, nobody stands on the playground when you were a kid and picks the guy that you know is going to miss every shot in the game. I knew beforehand you couldn't even hit the goal, but I, I want you on my team. God does. God does that. That's what, that's what, this is the stuff in your bank account. You're, you're uniquely set apart. There's holiness and blamelessness in your account. It's there. I mean, you might scratch your head and go, "Ah, how the heck did that get there? I don't remember ever depositing that in my account. Well, yeah, exactly, because you didn't. It was put there on your behalf, but it's there, right? So you got this rich, rich portrayal of this, Paul says, this is what's in your account. I don't know what you've been thinking of lately. I don't know how you feel about your life, but can I just remind you? Can I pull out your bank account and show you? Look what's in it. 
And then there's something else in here in verse 7 that I think might be a good candidate for most easily overlooked thing in your bank account. It's forgiveness. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Right? I mean, does that kind of get, ooh, yeah, I, for, yeah, I forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. And I, I would guess if I was asking you about your list of, hey, are you blessed? And you started shopping to figure out, are you blessed? If I hadn't coached this a little bit, would you have even mentioned, I'm blessed because I'm forgiven? Or would you say, well, I'm blessed because, you know, this is the way it's going for my kids, or my career just had this happen, or this benefit came to me, right? What, what categories exist for us? But the Apostle Paul says, how about this one? You are forgiven. J.C. Ryle says, there is a clause near the end of the Apostles' Creed, which I fear is often repeated without thought or consideration. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Thousands, I'm afraid. Never reflect what those words mean. Let us see to it that we know something by experience of the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, there are things going on every day of our lives that a hyper knowledge and awareness of forgiveness is going to jump into those categories and touch it. It's going to make it feel different for you. You There's a reality that you can get as busy as you want, but but you're mortal. You're a human being that is watching the world not work, watching decay take place, watching people reach the end of their lives in a variety of ways. And every time those things play out on a daily basis, you get up, I get up, aches and pains are, there's a new set of them uh, all the time. Something is reminding me, I'm not, hello, I'm not working the way I used to. You know, I just... It's like, well, thanks for letting me know that. Uh, that's a new part of the body. I didn't, I didn't know anything was going on right there. Uh, all those things, they're, they're the sound of a clock ticking. The moment you were born, there was this clock ticking down. And everybody in this room is going to come to the last tick. And in the next moment, the fact of everybody here and everybody on this planet is that we will all stand before the creator who made us for a meeting that's going to sound a little bit like, hey, what you've been doing with my creation? You know who I am. You know, in that day, I don't know what you're going to have in your wallet. I'm not sure you're going to have a wallet in that day. But if you did, you might want to look in there and see if you've got a card on there that says forgiven. Because that might be the most important thing for you to present in that moment. You are forgiven. But you know, it's not, this is, you know, forgiveness isn't just a that day issue, although it's an enormous that day issue. It's, it's a right here, right now issue too. Because as we're going to see today, this, this issue of forgiveness is connected with a sense of separation that exists between us and God. Right? Even as Christians, you understand you don't get a full-blown version of God in, on, on this earth. Do you get that? You get a granted dimension of the Holy Spirit, of God's nearness, and of his life. But it's not what we will get in glory But we certainly have got a severe upgrade from what the fallen world has. But there's this sense in us of a separation between us and God. And you and I operate every day of our lives with that sense that something's just disconnected between man and God. That's a forgiveness issue, right? And we live with it every day. Well, this week is is Holy Week. We begin today, Palm Sunday launches us toward this enormous issue of Easter and all that it means to us. But it it gives us an opportunity this week to to get off what we've been calling the last few weeks the the interstates of life. 
I'm in a hurry. Get me where I'm going. Let me live life fast. Let me just have enough pieces of knowledge and information just to to hasten me along the way. But we've said these ancient paths. God has created ancient paths. That if we'll get off the well-traveled, busy, traffic-filled roads of life and we'll travel down these ancient paths, we're going to see stuff. And in seeing them, our hearts can come to life and our faith can get electrified back into believing things that we need to believe every day of our lives. So today we're going to travel the ancient path of forgiveness. And Charles Spurgeon has an interesting thought about these ancient paths. He says, it does us good to get back to these antiquities, to these eternal things. You shake off something of the dust of time as you no longer walk down its restless ages, but traverse the glorious eternity. Where, this is, this is a haunting thought, centuries seem no more than fallen leaves, by the way. Boom, a century just passed. Boom, another century. Thousands of years are less than a drop of a bucket compared with the lifetime of the Almighty. How sublime a thing to climb in contemplation to the everlasting God and the eternal council chamber. We, we need these slow-moving ancient paths to help us with some perspective. Here's a thought. Among all that you don't have, right? These passages educate us that we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer, if you have turned to God in repentance and faith and have received his life, we have forgiveness amidst the haunting and obsessive thoughts that all of us face about what we don't have. How many things are you aware of that you just don't have? I I, I got a list, unfortunately. I, I mean, it just pops up constantly. Like just something else I don't have that no, I wish I had, and I don't have that, and I, well, I used to have that, and right there's just this operating list in our lives of I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, and so maybe we're here today and just a little bit unhappy, a little bit discontent, a little bit not settled, but well, why? Because it's just it's just stuff I don't have. Right? I'm here this morning and I don't have this kind of a relationship. I don't have this kind of money in my account. I don't have this kind of future set because I can predict it based on my own talents or the things that are going on around me. I don't have, Keith. There's just a lot of stuff in my life that I don't have. Oh, can I tell you something that you do have? You have forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon says, what a charming thing it is to deal with experimental divinity. Not with theories, but with matters of fact. Great facts which are dear to you because they have been wrought in you and you have not been merely a delighted spectator of them. Are are you here today and, and you are a spectator of forgiveness? There's this thing called forgiveness, but but it doesn't light you up. Right, which by the way, you may tell yourself you're not a spectator, but if it doesn't light you up, you are a spectator. Get a reclassification of yourself. If the thought that you are forgiven is kind of like, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that and I parked my car out front. All right. I know that too. I know where I parked it. Good thing I remember that too. Any of y'all affected by where you parked your car today? It's unaffected stuff. But here is an announcement. You are forgiven. And then technically everybody in the room goes, yeah. Well, yeah. I knew that. I knew that. Do you know it with tears? Do you know it with a sense of a weight coming off of your life? Do you know it with a sense of celebration, with wow, with puzzlement? How did that happen? Because if you don't, you're a spectator. But you have been the subject and object of them in whom we have redemption. Whether others have it or not, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We do not hope for it, but we have it. We do not merely think so, but we know that we have it. 
We are redeemed. We are free from bondage. We are forgiven and are no longer under condemnation. Did you hear that in that word that was given this morning? You know, I love when sometimes God says, I'm not trying to insult anybody. God says, you know, you might need to hear this more than once. So I'm going to have somebody who has no idea what's going on around here this morning just have an impression to come share a word with the church this morning. And it's just going to be so that when the message comes, it'll be the second time you're hearing it. It's a good thing. Colossians says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is what we have. All right, so simple outline today. What is forgiveness? Two, how does it get achieved? And three, how does it impact us once we've seen it? Once you've traveled this path and you have seen your forgiveness, what impact does it produce in our lives? Let's look first. What is forgiveness? I don't think I would be overstating or exaggerating to say that forgiveness is uh, the heart of Christianity. It's the epicenter. It's the doorway through which the entire kingdom gets accessed. So this this is not like one of those second, you know, should you, should you not speak in tongues. This, This is not in the same conversation with that. Forgiveness is the centerpiece of everything that we know about Christianity. And if you want to get a flavor for that, You read your Bible, you pick it up. The first three chapters tell you the origins of where everything came from, the created activity. Three chapters before the wheels come off. And then the rest of the Bible, 1,187 chapters are all going to be about the restoration of that which is now broken. And the very centerpiece of restoration is forgiveness. So this is no small matter. J.C. Ryle says this. See now what just cause I have to say that to know our need of forgiveness is the first thing in true religion. Sin is a burden and must be taken off. Sin is a defilement and must be cleansed away sin is a mighty debt and must be paid sin is a mountain standing between us and heaven and must be removed listen if you you want to accurately understand the message of this book you have to start right there To jettison that truth is to miss the point of everything. And this becomes like a magic eight ball, you know. What's this got to do with me? Uh, It's about a guy digging a hole. No, It's not how the Bible was written. It's not inspirational little tidbits. Get up in the morning, read a little inspiration, go about your way, do your thing. It's a message about forgiveness and how to find it and how to receive it. That's not a small thing in this book. Raul goes on and says, the first step toward heaven is to see clearly that we deserve hell. There are just two alternatives before us. We must either be forgiven or be miserable forever. See too how little many persons know of the main design of Christianity, though they live in a Christian land. They fancy they are to go to church to learn their duty and hear morality enforced. And in our day, maybe hear something inspirational. Maybe get motivated. A lot of churches have turned into motivational settings. We're just trying to motivate people to, to live a better life. They have yet to learn that the leading mark of Christianity is the remedy it provides for sin. Now, I'm intentionally quoting these two guys. J.C. Ryle is a pastor in England in the 1800s. At the same time that Charles Spurgeon is a pastor in England in the 1800s. Now, isn't it interesting how they talk about Christianity? The starting place, the reference point. Another perspective from Charles Spurgeon. He says, what is this forgiveness of sins? He says, I will begin with rescue from punishment. 
For if sin be pardoned, the penalty is extinguished. We are certain that the everlasting punishment of sin declared in Scripture will never happen to the man who is forgiven. When transgression is removed, the soul stands clear at the bar of God and there can be no further penalty. I absolve thee, says the great judge, and that carries with it weight. So that a man that is forgiven, listen, is cleared of the punishment which he must otherwise have borne. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If the year is 1860 and you wander into church, whether it's J.C. Ryle's church or you wander into Charles Spurgeon's church, And they speak of religion and belief and understanding about what this book teaches and what Christianity is about. The starting place is going to be about getting out from underneath the sin and the punishment that accompanies that sin. If you walk in the average church in America today, you might not hear anything about that. You you might just hear someone trying to get your attention by talking about your life, having it your way, furthering your dream, and God is this big favor granter, or he's this... He's this power source that if you'll just, if I could just teach you how to use the power of faith and rub God the right way, he'll turn your whole world into everything you've ever hoped it would be. That's what all the books are about today. That's what's popular for people. That's what packs church buildings today. The message of this book doesn't change with cultures. It's the same message from Genesis chapter 3 on, written into a very different culture, a very different setting than what you and I live in. It's not as though, well, you know, that's just such an old, outdated, antiquated idea. I mean, even those guys in the 1860s, that's just not how we think anymore. Well, okay, okay, I get that. I really do get that. But it is how this thinks. Because this hasn't changed at all. It just sounds weirder than ever. But is that because the location of our listening has shifted? Or because the message of this has shifted? Well, the message hasn't shifted. The message is still the same. So we have an issue of forgiveness in our lives that is primary to our existence. It's it's the biggest thing going out there. It's the biggest thing on your list. It's the category that makes you either blessed or not. Right, second question, how is forgiveness achieved? It's very critical to look at this from, I'm going to say from two perspectives. From a human side and from a God side. Right? And there's two words that are floating around in these verses we're going to look at. One has to do with the human side. Is, it's forgiveness has to deal with the issue of separation. There is this issue of separation between humanity and God. There is an issue. You you cannot displace that and and ever read your Bible for very far. But I get that there's this sense that, well, you know, everything is beautiful in its own way, in its own time. and, And God's really okay with everybody in some kind of a way. And we're all God's children, don't you know? Well, that doesn't sound like there's a separation factor there, right? I mean, that doesn't bring you to a point of having to wrestle with, am I separated from God? Well, not under those ideas. So I could come to church thinking, I got no problem. I got no problem with me and God. There's nothing that needs to be fixed between us. But that wouldn't be what the Bible has to say, right? If you want to get a great commentary, turn to, turn to the book of Romans. I'm just going to skip through this for a second. If you want to get a great commentary on understanding the human condition and God's remedy, the Paul's letter to the Romans, critical reading, critical reading. So if you've not read the letter to the Romans, it would be helpful to get a little bit of background so you understand some of his points. <clears throat> but here, here's, the, here's the key elements 
of what he introduces in this letter that has to do with man's separation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, this is huge, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the righteousness of Keith, not the righteousness of Kanye West, not the righteousness of whoever comes to mind for you that's here on the hero page. But the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. We should all sit back and go, hmm, let me have a careful look at this because this is probably relevant to me. What, what, what is God's righteousness like? Look down in verse 21. <clears throat> After kind of displaying some, some things went wrong in the, the world, verse 21. For although humanity, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened this is the condition that separation creates when I'm separated from the light all I'm left with is darkness right God is light the Bible says so he's the one who generates everything that makes everything make sense When you shut that light off, when separation becomes our story, I'm left with darkness. So now everything becomes confusing because I don't see things correctly anymore. How many of you understand? I don't see things correctly anymore. I don't see the things in my life correctly anymore. I don't see their role in my life. I don't see relationships right anymore. I'm in darkness. And so all kinds of chaos sets in. Look in verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder, strife. You understand, this is, this is a darkened people. I, I, I don't know what to do with you. I think I'll kill you. That's, that's what's happening. Can someone explain what was going on in the mind of a 25-year-old in Austin, Texas, killing strangers with explosives? Don't even know these people. They've never done anything to you. And just randomly. How do you explain that stuff? Well, I I explain it right here in Romans chapter 1. I explain it by an absence of light. I explain it by human beings separated from the God who is light. And the list goes on and it's a bunch of horrible stuff. But this isn't just the newsmakers, right? The Bible turns around to all of us. The sweetest grandmother in the room here who was just gardening yesterday and waving to people as they drove down the street. You are in this passage here. So if you're in this passage, I know I'm in this passage, right? Look in chapter 3. This condition, verse 10 says, none, none is righteous. Not just the bad newsmakers. No, not one. No one understands No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This is a a hopeless indictment. And then scoot over to verse 23, chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a condition we find ourselves in. This separation. That's our word. You want to describe humanity? Humanity is separated from God. We are, we are not in connection. We are not in relation with God. We are separated from him. So forgiveness has got to fix separation. But forgiveness has to do something else. Forgiveness has to satisfy God. All right, so... It needs to fix separation, but it also needs to fix the sense of God being satisfied. There is something about God's nature that has to be satisfied. He has to be forgiving because something in him was satisfied. 
Right? This is not just a matter of he can just turn a blind eye, turn his back, just say, hey, don't do that again. Get over it. There's something about the nature of God. That's why the gospel is so careful to say, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Right? So you and I need to fall out of love with the idea that God, certainly God could just get over it, couldn't he? Couldn't, couldn't God just ignore what we did? No, according to the Bible. There's something about the nature of God that doesn't allow him to just ignore sin and its creation of separation between us. And and so offensive is it, so unlike his character, is that when sin enters the scene of his creation and individuals of human beings that he created, separation occurs. That's the response of the nature of God to sin entering the scene here. God who was in and among his creation, who had breathed his life into humanity, is now separated from them. Just like that. Because of the nature of God. You know, I might not like that. But in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we have to come to grips with God is the way that he is. But look in the grace that's in this passage in Romans 3 verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are made right, are brought back into right standing with God as a gift by his grace. Through, these are rich words, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. God did these things in order to put on display. Hey, I I get that you guys aren't familiar with my kind of righteousness. Uh, You got your own. You got your own heroes. They do things. You think, you know, hey, maybe God's an improved version of my hero over there. Uh, But I'm going to put my righteousness on display. I'm going to show you my righteousness. This is what my righteousness is like. And it involves blood and his satisfaction and something called redemption. Well, if, if you're in Christ, you have redemption, the Bible says. You have it. It's in your bank account. You may not fully understand it. You may not understand how it got there, but you have it. And, and what it is, it is a release affected by the paying of a ransom. Somewhere in your past, you owed a debt that was so great, you never would have been able to pay it. That sat in your account, awaiting the day the ticking stopped. And God steps in and pays that debt. That's redemption. That's what God has done. But there's another couple of words here that are worth paying attention. That word propitiation. I know you use that every day with your kids around the dinner table. It's a word that describes God being satisfied. It's a word of satisfaction. It's a word that right before that word, God was not satisfied. And right after it, he is. It's a a condition in God. It's, It's a sense in God that the way this is right now, I am not okay. I am not satisfied. But then a moment later, he is. Well, how How does this happen? How does God put that characteristic of himself on display? How does he show himself? Well, forgiveness sits at propitiation. For God to become satisfied, he must have something in him now that's settled. That now forgiveness can become available to us. How how does this happen? How do we get to this enormous thing called forgiveness well we get there this week this holy week we're going to land there this week and it's going to draw our attention to how was God satisfied right can you please Please remember, if you, want to talk, if you want to discuss forgiveness, it's got two dimensions. Remember those two words. There's a separation dimension. There's a satisfaction dimension. There's two dimensions of forgiveness. There's a separation dimension. 
And there's a satisfaction dimension. And isn't it interesting that in the world, there is a complete ignoring of the God of the universe having to be satisfied. Some of us, he just, well, he just needs to figure out a way to get over it. The real, the real deal is, I just need to feel okay about my life. Well, the reason why you don't feel okay is that thing called separation. You, you, you were made for this intimate communion and relating with God. But when sin came in, that was broken and you were separated from it. So now life just feels left-handed. Sorry, all you left-handers. Right-handed for you. Uh, it just feels like everything just, not, it just doesn't work right. You just can't get it to feel right. So it's, it's because that happened. And that separation, so you want that to go away. Now, now you're in touch with the separation dimension out of the malice and the broken relationships and, and the anxieties that are in there. I'm in touch with, that's my little dashboard lights that tell me separation, separation, separation. Now your little dashboard light just lights up in a color, but what it's trying to tell you is this is what separation from God feels like. And we're like, hey, 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 God. I'm all about this forgiveness thing. Can you just show up and make the lights go away? Can can you just come into my life and and make all the noisy situations that aren't working right and I don't feel good about me, can you just come turn all those lights off? And that's the only dimension that we're aware of that God needs to involve himself with. What about God being satisfied? What has to happen for God to say, I'm good and I'm good with you? Well, this is where ancient paths come in. Because God wanted to make that really, really, really clear to us. And so he installed these ancient paths and he said, hey, travel down these ancient paths and take in all the scenery you can possibly take in so that you can understand something about my forgiveness of you. Right? So I'm going to direct your attention to one in particular because we're going we're gonna to celebrate it this week. You guys will remember, those of you who were with us during the anthem study of the book of Exodus, which... By the way, we studied the book of Exodus so that I could reference it in the future. Um, so that we know these things because we sat in the book for a while. Exodus chapter 12. Turn there real quick. Exodus chapter 12 is going to get celebrated this week. Exodus chapter 12 is the ancient path of the Passover meal. This activity that God put some things on display so that we could get something. We could, oh, I get that. Oh, whew, that's helpful. Wait, wait, wait. This is that. Right, that this is, the lights come on. But it's an ancient path that if you've never participated in Passover, you don't get. So the, God installs this. And he says, hey, 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 get off, get off the road right here and travel down this ancient path. And these are practices that God put in place. He said, do this perpetually. Keep doing it every year. Set aside time. Pay attention to this. Absorb the details. It's going to teach you something that matters to you. So most of us know the story of the Passover, right? This is the moment that God is rescuing his people out of the clutches of the world and its horrible fallenness that have turned his people into slaves, And God steps in. And you know how God rescues them? He rescues them by turning loose his righteousness that he has had on a leash. And he says, leash no more. And he opens up his righteousness and justice floods that part of the world. Now you guys know the story, right? You've you've had plagues. This is the last one. The judgment now is about to specifically find its way into the firstborn of everybody in the land. And God tells his people to do this in Exodus 12 verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. The 10th day of this month. Do you know what the 10th day of this month was in the New Testament when this took place? Today. Palm Sunday. 
the day Jesus, the lamb, would get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem, fulfilling this passage, that on this day, this is what would happen, right? Look what happens. This is what they're told to do to this lamb. Verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day. All right, so they're not going to kill it on Palm Sunday. That comes later in the week. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This is exactly what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus came in. Look in verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, this is an ancient path worth slowing down. Put your car in park for a second and listen to those words carefully. Right? They were told to take an innocent lamb, cut the lamb's throat, drain the blood into a bucket, take a hyssop branch like a paintbrush and dip it into that blood and smear it on the doorposts of their home. Because the blood of a lamb was being taught to mean something to them. So that later on, they had traveled that ancient path enough time so that when the blood of the lamb showed up, John the Baptist could stand with his hand over his mouth and go, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How did John know to say that? Because he had walked this ancient path over and over and over again, knowing one day it would be fulfilled by the lamb who would come. And why does the shedding of blood matter? Because God said it does. God said without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay, remember the gospel is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now maybe you're fine with forgiveness taking place with no blood being involved. Good for you. Have your righteousness, go write your own book. But in this book, The righteousness of God is revealed. And in his righteousness, the only way forgiveness ever takes place is if blood is shed. And that blood was spread on the post of their home. And he says, when I see the blood, I will spare you of the judgment I just released on this land. And what if I don't see any blood on your house? I won't spare you. So, so much for the idea that, well, God can just overlook this stuff, can't he? You you think God didn't know where everybody lived? Right, I'm going to turn loose judgment in the land. Listen, I don't know where you guys live. I don't know what your addresses are. He just marked the place with some red, so I just know to stay away from there. Do you think the sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing God didn't know where people lived? This isn't a... This isn't a a marine marker so you can guide your bomb in correctly. This is the necessity that blood must be seen for forgiveness to be granted. Blood must be applied to your home for forgiveness to pass over you. How, How do we get this idea? By walking ancient paths. And God puts this in place all over the place, right? This is what we're going to celebrate this week. But later in the year... At Mount Sinai, God reveals the Day of Atonement, where blood again was shed. Blood was shed, so forgiveness could be given. And something interesting was done on the Day of Atonement. There were two goats. One had his life taken. The other, they would put their hands on the other goat and would confess the sins of the nation of Israel. So the issue with humanity's separation is his sins. And God would take that goat and they would lead that goat. It's called the scapegoat. This is where that phrase comes from. That goat would now be the carrier of all the sins of the people. 
And they would lead that goat out and separate that goat from them forever. And God says, you had an issue with separation, but now I have separated your sin from you forever. How do we know these things? You just get off the beaten highways and you walk some ancient paths and you see this stuff. That's what's going to happen this week. That's what we celebrate in Easter. The blood applied to our lives that God would forgive us and spare us of the judgment, the punishment that sin deserves. Now, last point. How does this have any impact on us? What, 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 is, what does this do for us? Well, the separation issue gets conquered. Right? I'm going to say two things here. Nearness to God gets accomplished. And nearness to people changes. When forgiveness comes into our lives, nearness to God is now possible. You and I can come near to God. Not because you cleaned yourself up. But because the blood of Christ cleanses you. The God who chose you from the foundation of the world. He knew what was in your rap sheet. And he knew he would wipe it all away. Every bit of it. By his blood. And you would be holy and blameless. And if you're holy and blameless. Now you can do what Hebrews 4 says. Let us with confidence draw near to God. We, we have this sense of awareness. That we can confidently come before God. The separation issue has been dealt with. I want to keep this real though. Because you know where it shows up? This is where it shows up as to whether or not you really get forgiveness or whether you're a spectator from a distance. It shows up in how you give forgiveness away. In your encounter with forgiveness that leaves you scratching your head, pondering, amazed, can't understand how God would love like that and would forgive me that way. If you're really amazed by that, you'll be amazed at how willing you are to forgive those who have sinned against you and fallen short of your expectations in life. Jesus So this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that love is connected to forgiveness. It's a great passage, Colossians 3. Put on then, right? This is the reality of these things. Put it on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. See, there's something is a giveaway that when I am stingy with forgiveness, it advertises I don't know what I'm talking about. Because to have received forgiveness is to have your mind blown and your heart turned upside down by the fact that God has forgiven you. Now listen, turn to to this last story here. We're going to conclude. Luke chapter 7, real life application. This goes back to what we talked about last week. And I get, in our culture, it's not popular to take an honest look at yourself. It's not popular. We don't like the way it feels. And remember, in our enchanted world, feelings rule. Positive feelings rule. So if I don't feel good about that, then I'm not supposed to be doing it. No, no, no. no. Please find that in the Bible for me real quick. There's a lot of things that we do that we don't feel good about. But we do them because they're rich and they're life-giving. So into this real-life situation, look at this. Jesus illustrates this impact, this impact of forgiveness in our lives. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, huh, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. You know, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Anybody here reading this story going, well, you know, the Pharisee wasn't forgiven much. Anybody reading the story that way? This is, this is the perfect God with any human being standing before him. All of us are forgiven much. But what's interesting here is this guy's not aware of it. This is an interesting tale. It could be the, the tale of Sunday mornings. The gathering of sinners and Simons. Right? I mean, reality. We could come into a place like this. We have songs to sing. We have things to contemplate about God. Thinking about who he is, what he's done for us. And we could gather like Simon. We got no water. We got no ointment. There's no tears coming from us. Because we are unaffected. We haven't seen the depth of the forgiveness that has come to us. Oh, we're here this morning. We're part of the Christian universe. But we travel the interstate way too much and we haven't gotten off a path that's allowed us through confession to be in touch with, oh my, can you imagine God forgiving me of that and that and that and and what I just did and how I'm thinking right now and you just are aware the forgiveness of God showing up in those categories. It's humiliating and humbling. And it breaks you. And you don't stand at a distance like a Simon and saying, look at that sinner over there. Because you're too busy shedding your own tears and affected by your own awareness that God has given you such forgiveness. And then he turns and he says, now forgive one another just as I have forgiven you. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, to make you over uncomfortable. I, I, just, I, I just hate the fact that there's richness here and we can be such paupers sometimes. There's such rich delight here to go free, to, to stand in the presence of God, devoted to him with our affection. Simon had no affection for Jesus. He was around him, even got him to come to his house. But the woman who knew how much she had been forgiven was full of affection for Jesus. Listen, if you're here this morning, you got no affection for Jesus, it might be directly related. It might not be the only factor, but it might be directly related to the thought that you don't think you're all that bad. I mean, you're not like some of those other people like that sinner over there groveling at his feet. (laughs) 
I mean, I've done some things, but I'm not, I'm not her, for goodness sake. Yeah. You're worse. Because your pride is so enormous, it blinds you to see that you are every bit as bad as she is. And isn't that what happens when we don't forgive others? Our pride looks at their sin and says, I would have never done that. No, 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 you'd have done that instead. And you have done, and you've done this and that and that too. And, and you would not have wept at Jesus' feet, and you'd have stood at a distance when the glorious God put on humanity and came and sat in your house, and you would have had not an ounce of affection and devotion for him. Do you understand? Simon's sin is worse than this sinner's sin. Well, what did she do? Well, she slept with some people, probably. You know, the number one command is not, did you sleep with anybody? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love nothing like you love me. And for Simon to have the Son of God in his home and have none of this in his heart towards him, his sin is greater. All right, well, this morning, we're, we're going to travel an ancient path together. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion. So if you guys can come up and prepare us for that. This, this, this celebration is an ancient path, right? It is, it's intended to have scenery. We're, we're going to pull off the fast pace of life and we're going to hold in our hands blood. Blood. That Passover blood with an awareness of what this blood means, of that God looks upon this blood when he looks upon my life. And the thought that the God of the universe took on human flesh to come and take my place. And I'm going to recount that. And the reason why he did that was so that he could forgive me. Now here's here's a giant, giant problem with this. Before we pass this out, here's a giant problem. This meal was to be done in remembrance. It was to be done as an act of remembering what this means to us. And the means that the Bible describes of remembering these things involves confession of our sin to God and owning it as we talked about last week. Receiving his forgiveness. Repentance. If you read the Bible, the the Bible doesn't know anything of confession without repentance. It knows nothing of that. The idea that I'm going to say before God that, yeah, I've been doing this, it's been wrong, but I've got no intention of stopping, or I'm not going to alter my course. The Bible knows nothing of it. Stop wasting your confession. Just go before God and say, God, I refuse to agree with you on this. But if you're going to confess, then repentance follows And by faith, we we receive the life of God in us with an awareness of our forgiveness. If, If you've never done that, if you're here this morning, you've never done that. Do you understand? Taking this means nothing. It doesn't impart any magic. It's, it's a remembering. It's, a, it's an ancient path. It's a travel down this road and think about these things. What do they mean to you? Moment. Do they reflect that you have confessed your separation from God and your sin before him? Repented. Turn to him to receive forgiveness because that's the only place. Remember, if you don't have the blood of the lamb over your life, there, there isn't a God out there who just chooses to sweep your stuff under the carpet or that has, he happens to know your address anyway. That God is not in the Bible. This God needs to see blood on your life, but not your blood. The blood of Jesus Christ in your place. And he will forgive you your sins. And you can eat this meal this morning because you really do believe what it says. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. If that's where you are this morning, you're like, hey, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure I've done that ever. Well, in a moment, you have the opportunity to do that. I'll come back to you in a second. If you're here this morning, 
And, and you're about to go through a ritual here that the Bible actually calls on us to examine ourselves before we do this. And you're sitting here right now this morning and you know, I've been talking about forgiveness and I've been talking about the impact of forgiveness on you. And you know right now there are people in your life that you have refused to forgive. You will not forgive them. You're going to eat this meal for real? Are you kidding me? You want to eat it meaninglessly one more time? You want to drive into your soul just a little bit further that none of this means squat? Is that what you want? Go ahead. Keep doing these meaningless rituals. Don't stop along the pathway and take in what it means. And you're going to drink a cup of blood that was spilled for you. So that you could be forgiven. And the separation between you and this holy perfect God. Who you have offended up one side and down the other. Would put that separation aside. Would welcome you to come near to him. But you won't welcome someone else to come near to you. Listen if you... If you won't forgive others, don't eat this. You make a mockery of it. You make it empty. You make it mean nothing. This is supposed to mean something. So your two choices are right now in your heart to make a decision about whether you, having traveled this road far enough this morning to say, wow, how can I not forgive others when I have been so forgiven myself? Yes, yes, I forgive that person. And maybe you're going to leave here today and bear fruit with that forgiveness and contact that person and reestablish relationship and tear down the walls of separation. But can I just say, if you're not going to do that, can you not take communion this morning? Because you make it empty for yourself. It means nothing. And this means everything to us, does it not? This week, we celebrate a remembrance of the gathering of this first time. Jesus inaugurating this new covenant meal with his disciples. Just before he offered himself up as the lamb whose blood would bring forgiveness for us all. Let's take the emblems together if you guys would exit your rows to your right my left and just come up to the folks that are standing in front of your section and take a piece of the bread take a piece of the cup hold on to them we're going to take them together 